You know, I told you I brought Billy down to take care of business with Mama and Razzie. I've never gone through this before, so I wasn't sure how long he'd have to be there. It shouldn't take too long, said Clifton. He'll bring them right in season. I was in their barn to feed them last week, and Billy started acting crazy. Raising up on his hind legs, trying to attack me, I fended him off with the door and got out of the barn and headed down to a gate in the fence to get out. He was right after Razzie, and she kept running behind me. Go on, Razzie, get out of here. Leave me alone. She didn't want anything to do with Billy either. She was using me as a barrier. Well, he'd come at me to get her. I finally got out. After reflecting, I realized that Billy's hormones were raging, and he saw me as a threat. That's right. So it appears that their activities peaked around several nights ago. Billy is calmer, and I hope to take him home soon. This is Ernie Johnson, founder of Anashira. Thanks for joining us. It's rainy and cold out today in these mountains of Western North Carolina. A good day for a bath. Well, I'm not going to take a bath, but I will have a shower, and I'm going to use my Fields of Provence soap. It will remind me of a sunny summer day in those fields of lavender, and you can do the same. You buy fine soaps from Anashira, and I can continue to make these podcasts. Let's go back to Andalusia for this week's story from Anashira. last week, my dad had just burned his shoes on top of the brazier at Muddy Pepa's house. We had a great visit. One night, while we were sitting at our simple kitchen table eating, I asked my dad if he'd like a glass of wine. To my great surprise, he said he guessed he'd try some. Now, my parents were staunch Methodists. I'd never seen either of them drink a drop of alcohol, not even a sip of champagne at my wedding. So my dad toasted me and took a swig. Well, he didn't spit it out, and he didn't choke, and even finished a glass. My mom stared at him the whole time. So we drove my folks back to Madrid so they could fly back to California, and we went back to our regular lives. Before we knew it, it was time to start planning our summer vacation. Gilberto asked around and told us a good place to go would be a city called Fuengirola on the Costa del Sol. It's got good access by rail for all of us. It's got six miles of sandy beaches, a medieval Moorish fortress, lots of good restaurants, and I can find us some good accommodations. What do you think? Hey, that sounds great. How long? Well, we need to be like the Europeans. The whole month of August, right? Okay, I'll get back to you. In Spain, they had this service called the Telefonica. There were many people with no private telephones in those days. We didn't have one. Neither did Claudia and Gilberto. So we set up a time and went down to the Telefonica, and they called us. They called us over to a booth. Okay, I have a place, he said. It's an apartment suite at a hotel right on the ocean. Kitchen, bathroom, three bedrooms, living room. 
balcony overlooking the pool and the ocean. We split the cost between all of us and Arturo, and it's not bad. No, it was really reasonable. We're in. See you there. Now, Miguel showed up as usual at the last day of July with my pay. He handed me the usual wad of a thousand peseta bills. Ernesto, here you are. Good work, he said. Thanks, hombre. I enjoy working for you. Then he pulls out another wad of bills, the same size as the first stack. Here, this is for you. Pay for August in advance. Wow, thanks. Then he reached in his briefcase and pulls out another stack of notes, the same size, and hands them to me. What's this? I asked. This is your sobresueldo. Sobresueldo? Yes, in Spain you get paid 13 months salary. The extra pay is for your summer vacation. I was dumbfounded. I'd never seen so many thousand peseta bills. I felt like a millionaire. So we were all packed up. We caught the bus to Sevilla, over to the train station. It was only a three-hour trip to Fuengirola, a cab to the hotel and up to our suite. So we meet everyone. Hey, good. Hey, it's good to see you. This is pretty nice, said Maria, and it was. So we all go down to the beach, and we swim in the ocean, and we caught some rays. In the afternoon, we found a used bookstore. Had thousands of books in English, Spanish. Now, Claudia, Maria, and I were voracious readers. And we bought a pile of books, mysteries, crime novels, histories. You name it, we got it. So we'd read a book, pass it on to the next person, and we were all done. We'd sell it back to the bookstore and get another one. This is great. We went out to dinner, had excellent fresh seafood, and then back to the hotel late grabbed a book, and settled down to read. That's when it started to go downhill. First, we noticed laughing, then louder, then some screaming, then some music, loud, louder music. Well, it won't be like this all night, said Claudia. It lasted a long time. At one point, we heard a scream from above us, and the scream continues down and ends with a splash in the pool. Uh-oh said Gilberto. Drunks doing kamikaze dives. It was very late when we all got to sleep. The next morning, Gilberto and I went down to the front desk to complain. This is crazy, said Gilberto. These crazy Scandinavians, they won't let us sleep. Now the manager had blonde hair and spoke Spanish with an accent. They aren't crazy. They're Finnish people. Can you tell them to be quiet? You know, they wait all year for their vacations. They just want to have a good time. Finnish people like to let loose on their vacations. Well, what about the non-Fins in this property? I asked. We have the rights to some peace and quiet. Well, you are the only non-Fins at this property, he said with an evil smile on his face. This property is managed by Fins for Fins. When are all these Fins leaving? I asked. They'll be gone by September the 1st, said the manager. Uh-oh, I said to Gilberto. We were out of luck. So we went up and shared the news with the rest of them. Can't you tell the manager that the behavior of all those fins is unacceptable, said Maria? Well, the manager and the whole management staff are finished too, and they think it's very normal and acceptable. 
during summer vacation. We realized that if we continued to let it bother us, we'd just have a miserable time. So we changed our behavior. We'd sleep later in the day when it was quiet. We'd spend part of the evening out and we'd stay out later. And we'd just ignore the racket when we got home and get to bed later. And it worked. Arturo said to Gilberto, Hey, Beto, I hear Ernie bought you a jamón ibérico for Christmas. Did you bring it down to share with us? Are you kidding? Once you cut into that ham, you have to eat it within 90 days or it will dry out. You ate that whole ham? I did, and I could have finished off another one. So we laughed and we talked and we ate a lot of seafood and other food and we read a lot of books. And books are perfect for a vacation. And before we knew it, August was over and we headed home. It was good to get back to work. I couldn't remember having had a whole month off with no responsibilities since I was a kid. Beto had said to me before we left, Hey, gringo, this August vacation and an extra salary? Not a bad life, eh? No, not bad. So I'm teaching all of my old students. After three weeks, I have my advanced class again at 9 o'clock. Monday and Tuesday went well, as normal. On Wednesday, Federico Sowol says, Teacher, we need to talk to you. Okay, Fred, what is it? Well, you know how Fridays we have Living English in Nerva with tapas? Yes. We want to know if we can continue that this year. Uh, sure, we can do that. One more thing. We propose that we also go to Nerva on Wednesdays. But we promise, we all promise, we will speak only English with you. Promise. I looked around the room. Everyone was looking at me very serious. Everyone nodded their head. That's hard for you. Yes. But we agree, if we speak Spanish, we will pay a penalty into a pot of 100 pesetas. Every time. A hundred pesetas? That's pretty steep. Yes, expensive. But it will force us to work hard on speaking English. Okay, can we do it? Sure, sounds great. Okay, Ernie. Oh, Fridays continue as before. We still do living English. But no fines on Fridays. De acuerdo? Okay, I agree. It's a deal. So off we drove to Nerva. They knew us in those tapas bars and treated us like kings. And those guys did a good job. They worked hard and we really did have living English. But they laugh when someone slipped up and had to throw a hundred pesetas into the hat. Now Fridays were another matter. We had living English, well, some of the night. No fines. Federico had been to Poland in August and he told us he'd come back with several extra cases of his delicious buffalo vodka. Even the very serious financial guy, Jose Candon, began letting his hair down and laughing with gusto. Now there's a special place in southern Spain on the coast. It's a place called Coto Doniana. People told me it was a nature reserve. And Jose Candon, who was a birder, told me it was an area of marshes, shallow streams, sand dunes, and las marismas the delta where the Guadalquivir River flows into the Atlantic Ocean. He continued, Coto Doniana has a biodiversity that is unique in Europe. It has a great variety of ecosystems and shelters wildlife, including thousands of European and African 
migratory birds, and other animals. Many of these are endangered species. Jose, that sounds very interesting. How does one get in to see it? You don't. It's closed to everyone except certain scientists. You need advanced government permission. Oh, well, I thought about it and talked about it with our pals, Donald and Raymond. An Englishwoman named Leslie had arrived. She was a teacher working privately, teaching some of the children of the executives. There was a mining engineer consultant from Turkey named Umit, who was also living there with his wife in Bayavista. And he said he'd love to go too. Everyone said, that'd be great. How do we go? So I went back to Jose. Whom do I see about getting permission to visit the Koto? Well, it's controlled by the Ministerio de Economía y Competitividad, the Ministry of Economy and Competitiveness. Try saying that three times in a row. What the heck kind of ministry is this, I thought. I suppose you could try writing them. Okay, thanks. So I put on my thinking cap, got down and drafted a letter, which stated something to the effect that we were a group of educators and scientists, true, from four countries, true, and blah, 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 and it would mean so much to us to be able to spend two days and nights in the park studying the ecosystems and observing certain species of migrating birds. I listed several of the universities where we'd studied, and I sent the letter off, not really expecting any answer, maybe a form letter of refusal. It was about 10 days later when I get a letter in an official-looking envelope from the Ministry of Economy and Competitiveness. It opens with, Muy estimado, Señor Johnson. Highly estimated, Mr. Johnson. Some flowing Spanish for dear Mr. Johnson. And it appeared my letter had worked. I had sent them tentative dates that worked for us. No problem then. It explained that there were Spartan accommodations, cabins with two bedrooms and a small living area. We would have to share them. Okay, no problem. No electricity except in a common kitchen area and common bathroom. Okay. The ministry would furnish a vehicle and guide on Saturday if we wished. There were a number of observation areas that we had access to. We had to bring our own food, bedding, towels, etc., etc., all that stuff. Yeah, that's okay. So we got together with all of our friends that evening, and I told them the news and translated the letter for them. Oh, we were all excited. Ernie, I can't believe you did it. Very impressive, my friend. We immediately started making plans, menus, transportation, sleeping arrangements. I wrote a letter of confirmation back to the ministry, and we were set. So we leave one Friday early in the afternoon. We get there. I show my letter to get us past the guard gate. And we drive several miles to our cabins. This park is huge and isolated. One ranger met us there and explained that a truck with benches would arrive early on Saturday morning and told us that there would be a guide with it. He also told us some of the exciting species of birds that were around and showed us the routes to several observing platforms. He treated us as if we were some sort of special visitors. 
So we set out to spend a couple of hours before dinner in different areas, seeing what we could see. It was everything we'd hoped for and more. I couldn't list the bird species that we saw that afternoon because I didn't even know 10% of them. But we did see Spanish imperial eagles. Fantastic. At the time, there were only about 30 pairs remaining in existence in the world. We saw cormorants, various coots, some terns, various species of woodpeckers, all before dinner. So we got back and we prepared a simple dinner, lots of manchego cheese, jamón serrano, and bread, and the famous tortilla española, Spanish tortilla. Well, here's, here's what it is. You fry some onions and potatoes sliced thin very slowly in olive oil. When they're done, you mix in scrambled eggs. You have a big frying pan. Cook it slowly. gets brown on the bottom. You flip it over and cook the other side. You remove it, set it, let it cool, and you cut it in slices like a pie. Oh, my. That was the first thing I'd ever eaten on my first trip to Spain six years earlier, and I'd fallen in love with it. You can find it in most bars. They store it at room temperature right on top of the bar. You can see it, eat it. It is so ubiquitous in Spanish gastronomy that each year they hold the Campeonato de España de Tortilla de Patatas, the Championship of Spain of the Tortilla of Potatoes. We did eat like kings. And we had all brought bottles of our favorite Spanish wines, so we had a few glasses, but we hit the sack early. The next day, we were met by our guide and the viewing truck. We took our binoculars and we set off. I was so glad that the guide also spoke English, because there is no way I could have translated the names of all the creatures he pointed out to us. I remember just a few. Some godwells, some widgeons, sandpipers. Glossy Ibis. We all asked him if we might see the famous and reclusive Iberian lynx. No, we won't. It's so endangered, fewer than 30 individuals are living. We did spot wild boars, deer, otters, a fox. Now, if you go out this evening, you can see three species of bats, and you can hear and see several species of owls, he told us before he left. It was dark when the guide left us back at our cabins. He'd done a great job, and we'd seen more species of birds than we ever dreamed existed. We ate dinner and went to one of our living areas for a nightcap. Out comes Ray Cantrell. You remember him, the Australian geologist? He asked us, are you familiar with a Ouija board? Yes, we'd heard of it. Ever use one? No, none of us had. Want to try it? Irmit's wife said she didn't want to take part. She'd watch from the side, though. So Ray brought out the board. It had all of the letters, the numbers, zero to nine, the words yes, no, hello, and goodbye on it. He pulled out a heart-shaped marker. This is a planchette, he says. Okay? There are certain things you should be aware of. Think positive thoughts. To 
to make more positive energy. If four of us put our fingers on the planchette, it will be enough. I should be the leader and ask the questions to the spirits. If we sense that a spirit is malevolent, I will break the session by saying goodbye. Umi, could you take a notepad and keep track of the responses and my questions? And then we can review them? Yeah, Umit said fine. Those of you touching the planchette will keep a finger or two fingers on it at all times. Close your eyes. Focus your energy on the planchette. No laughing. No jokes. Serious. You will have only the light of one candle to light the board. And this was getting a little creepy, but no one wanted to stop. Now understand, spirits talking to us can tell us anything they want. Just because a spirit says something doesn't mean it's true. It was quiet, just the calls of isolated nightbirds. It was almost dark. So Maria, Donald, Leslie, and I put our fingers on the planchette. Just let the energy take the planchette where it will. Don't try to force it. Don't peek. Clear your minds. It will stop when it wants to. Are you ready? Quiet. Here we go. Is there any spirit who wishes to communicate with us? Nothing. Then I felt my finger and hand move a little bit. I gave it no effort. The planchette circled the table, all of us touching it several times, and it stops. Yes, said Ray. Is there anyone here you wish to communicate with? The pointer moved again, slowly moved around. It stopped. L, said Ray. It moved again, moved around and back, stopped. E, said Ray. Moved, stopped, again, again. Leslie, said Ray. Do you have anything you wish to tell Leslie? The planchette moved, circled, stopped. Yes. Creepy. I wanted to crack a joke to break the tension, but I held my tongue. So we continued like this for some time. The spirit claimed to be Leslie's long-dead sister. Said she was fine, nothing to fear. Said she was watching after Leslie. I was so glad that no spirit wanted to talk to me. I could see and sense that Leslie was clearly impacted by the spirit. We were emotionally drained when Ray finally said goodbye. It was well after midnight. Leslie told us later that she was sure it was her departed sister. She told me things that no one else in the world would know, she said. We talked frequently as the months passed of our trip to Cotodoniana and of our communication with the spirit world, but no one ever suggested that we pull out that Ouija board again, and I haven't touched a Ouija board once since then. So we returned to Rio Tinto and our lives went on. One night, after my lowest level class had finished, Jesus came up to me with several of his class buddies. You remember Jesus from our infamous songbird hunt? He was a small, wiry man with a coarse voice. He'd worked his way up from a minor, and he was well respected by his compadres and bosses. Ernesto, have you ever heard of the Gurumelo? No, Jesus. 
What's a guru melo? Guru melo is the most delicious mushroom in the world. Oh, really? Where do you buy them? Buy them? You don't buy them. You find them in the ground and then you gather them. I was shocked. I had never dreamed of gathering a mushroom and eating it. I would have died of poisoning immediately, I thought. I grew up eating only mushrooms from jars. And those were called those button mushrooms. They say the English gave us our fungal phobia, the fear of mushrooms. You know, we used to call them toadstools, assuming that any fungus that grew in the earth was poisonous. So when Jesus continued, we're going out on Saturday to forage for gurumelos. We want you to come. I had grave misgivings. I thought for a moment, hesitated, and I made a great leap of faith for me. Sure, I'd love to. Okay, we'll pick you up at six. You don't need to bring anything, just an appetite. So I told Maria I was going mushroom hunting. She said, if you get poisoned, don't come to me to cure you. Okay. We drove out in the woods, many oak trees. Jesus gave me a bag and a screwdriver-like tool, and we walked around. There, see that, he said. I saw a small white thing through the earth below the surface. He dug down and pulled out a white mushroom, about two inches wide. Perfecto, he says. Are there other mushrooms that look like this? Yes. Are they poisonous? Yes. Do they grow around here? Of course. Can I tell the difference? Yes. If you scratch the surface of a gurumelo and it becomes pink, you know it's a gurumelo. So off I went. I found one. Scratch the surface, pink. So I go back to Jose. I find him and check. Yes, that's a gurumelo. This was exciting. It only took me an hour or so, and we went back together near the cars. I had a few good ones, but the others had bags full. This is a great year. Damp and warm, said Jose. So we made a campfire. We had a glass of 501, 501, or Spanish brandy of Jerez, of preference. And before long, we were slicing and frying garlic and gurumelos in olive oil. Man, it smelled fantastic. Someone pulled out several loaves of that Spanish bread, the baguette, and we ate. Those mushrooms were great, and the taste of olive oil and garlic and the smoke from the fire, and we soaked up the sauce with the bread. I had never in my life had anything so delicious. I'd never had mushrooms like that, and certainly not at nine o'clock in the morning. So tell us, Jesus said while we were sitting there, sated. What's this we hear that you're leaving us next month? You're going away? Is that true? Yes. I was going to tell you myself. Well, news travels fast around here, said Jesus. You can't leave now. We're just making progress with our English. Yeah, and they were. Well, I have to get back to the States, and I have to get serious with my life, man. How can you get more serious in paella or gurumelos cooked over a campfire with your friends? You know, he was right. Little did I realize how right he was. But Marie and I had talked. We'd been in Spain nearly three years, 
but it felt like most of our lives. And I told Miguel already, and he seemed very sad. How will I replace you, Ernesto? Oh, you'll find someone. We decided to spend a few months in Colombia on the way home. And we invited Ray and Donald to come visit us in Colombia during their summer vacation. And they said they'd be there for sure. I held my last classes, had my last living English session with my buddies from advanced English, said goodbye to all of my pals, all our acquaintances. And on our last day there, Miguel shows up with my pay. And again, bless his heart, he not only paid me for July, but for August as well. And he paid the sobre sueldo, the 13th month bonus. Miguel, I'm in shock. Ernesto, I'm glad to do it. You made my life here very easy. And you have a job here any time you want. So we flew off, Madrid to Bogota, one way, into my next adventure. Hey, thanks to Anashira, my formal sponsor for these podcasts. Anashira, maker of handcrafted, hand-poured goat milk soap. Kind to you, very kind to your skin. Someone asked me yesterday if I sold my soaps in Miami. No, I don't sell them in Miami, but you can buy them in Miami on your computer or on your phone or on your iPad. Easy. Enter discount code STORIES15 and you'll get a 15% discount. So join me next week for my next story from Anashiro. Anashiro.